This is M Black Writes, a podcast for people who love stories, and I'm your host, M Black. Welcome back to season two of M Black Writes podcast. And if you're new here, hello, hi, nice to meet you. New season, new intro music, if you noticed, and also a new logo. And I'm sure there will be a lot of new things that will happen over the next year. In the first year of me doing this podcast, it was a very evolving process and I tried out a lot of new things. So I'm sure this year will be the same. So I'm happy to have you along for the ride. We are taking it back to the very beginning with this episode. My first podcast episode ever was called Young Love Bloopers, and it came out in February of last year. And I've had people ask me, what does that mean? What what does Young Love Bloopers mean? And what it means to me is funny or embarrassing things that happened in our romantic lives in our youth. And the very first episode of Young Love Bloopers, it was good because it had a good mixture of elementary school, middle school, and high school, which I really liked. This one, Young Love Bloopers Part 2, doesn't have quite as much of a mix. We unfortunately didn't get any elementary school stories this time, but that's okay because the stink by the sink will forever reign supreme. (laughs) We've got two middle school stories today, and the difference with this episode, Young Love Bloopers Part 2, is we've actually got two stories that happened during college age times, which we didn't have in the first Young Love Bloopers, so that's really exciting. I wanted to tell you about something really cool that I was lucky enough to be able to do recently. Kelly Heil, the host of Moms Who Create podcast, invited me to be a guest on her show. It was my first time being a guest on somebody else's podcast, which was really great. Kelly's an artist, she published a children's book, and she's a podcast host. What I love about her podcast is that it gives moms the opportunity to hear other moms talk about the things they are most passionate about and how they manage it all while still caring for their children. I think when you become a mom, it's really easy to lose yourself in motherhood. And Kelly's podcast shows you that you don't have to. I had a great time hanging out with Kelly, and I think we discussed some really important things in my episode. So go give it a listen. Once again, that is Moms Who Create Podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. She also has an Instagram account under the same name if you want to give her a follow there. Table of Contents Special Segment Things people love. Story number one, naive notes and nicknames. Story number two, vomit of the opera. Story number three, kerfuffle in the kissing corner. Story number four, college cringe. I'm starting out with a segment that I'm calling Things People Love. 
And essentially what that means is this is going to be a list of funny things that we all do. Most of them I came up with on my own, but I did have listeners submit them on Instagram as well. So it's going to be a mixture of things I thought of and things that you all thought of too. The first one is people love to pronounce the word literally with a CH in the middle, like literally. <laughs> people love to pretend that they are super interested in an item at the grocery store just to avoid having to make eye contact with someone. I do this. You know that you do this too. Moms love to tell their adult children what they don't like to eat. So you'll be at your parents' house loading up your plate for dinner and your mom will be like, you don't like tomatoes. So this next one's not a people thing. It's actually an inanimate object thing. But our phones love to spy on us and read our minds and we all know this we all know it's happening and we're just laughing about it and ignoring it and i feel like one day the phones are going to rise up and take over the world so this one's another one that has absolutely nothing to do with actual humans but netflix loves to make you feel guilty by asking you if you're still watching whenever that little message pops up on on the screen i read it like this are you still watching? People love to turn down the music while they're driving so that they can see better. I listen to loud music. I like loud music, but I'll be jamming. And then when I get to where like, I really need to focus because I don't know where I am, that volume button just goes right down because I can't see. I don't know where I am if the music is too loud. This one's for all my pregnant ladies out there. A-holes love to say, are you sure you aren't having twins? To pregnant women. People love to dedicate a space in their fridge for to-go sauces and packets that they accumulate from getting takeout. I have one in my fridge. It's at the very bottom, but it's got fry sauce. If you don't know what that is, it's a Utah thing. And Chick-fil-A sauces, Taco Bell sauces, little ketchup packets, mayo packets, all sorts of stuff in that drawer. People love to prove to themselves that they can take all the groceries in in one trip. You know what I'm talking about? You'll have that those plastic bags just digging into your wrists, but you are going to do it in one trip. Dads love to laugh at their own dad jokes. Nobody thinks that dads are more funny than the dad telling the joke himself. He will get the biggest laugh out of it, even if everyone else is just lightly blowing air out of their nose like this. <laughs> he will be knee slapping and dying over his own humor. I'm saying humor in, in air quotes. Kids and pets love to come bother you while you're on the toilet. It's almost like they have a sixth sense. Like you could be so quiet tiptoeing across your house like lightly pulling the bathroom door closed not letting the latch like make that clicky noise and somehow in three seconds you're gonna see hands little fingers underneath the door you're gonna hear mom yelling at you through the door like it's it's uncanny 
This is another kid's one. Kids love to ask for food and then not eat it. Dare I say they love to beg for food and then not eat it. And it is maddening. People love to confidently throw the box away from the food they are making just to have to shamefully dig it out of the garbage later to read the directions. People love to forget your name as soon as you tell it to them. I pride myself on being really good with students' names. I can keep hundreds of names of students in my head, even kids who haven't been in my class. I learn their name and I know them and I say hi to them when I see them. But as an adult, if I meet you as an adult and I'm like, oh, what's your name? And you tell me, the second you tell me that name, it flies out of my brain. It's gone. It's gone. And I don't, I don't know it anymore. And I'm going to have to ask somebody behind your back what your name is because I, I don't remember it. All right. And we've made it to the last one on my list. This one is about husbands slash dads. And they love to pretend like they hate living with a pet when in reality, they are the ones who love and spoil the pet the most. This, this is real truth. You guys try it, get a pet and see how your husband acts about it. He's going to complain. He's going to act like it's the worst thing in the world, but then he's going to be doing all these extra little things to pamper that pet that you wouldn't even do, even though it's your pet. <laughs> If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I love to make nostalgic and pop culture references within my writing. This first story is sprinkled with a delicious blend of mid-2000s references. But don't worry for you older people who listen to my podcast. This story also ends with a reference from the 60s, so you're welcome. It's called Naive Notes and Nicknames, and it's one of those stories that I like to think of in my head as a mashup, and I'll explain to you what that means. A lot of the time when I will get a submission for a story, it will be pretty detail-heavy, and I've got the whole story within the submission, so I can just take that one submission, that one memory, and I can write an entire story just based off of that one person that submitted but a lot of the time, I just get tiny little phrases or sentences or ideas, just little blips where I'm left to make up an entire story around that. So a lot of times, if I get similar little blips submitted, I will mash them all up into one story where I create the characters, I create the plot, but I add in all of these little ideas submitted by you guys. And that is how I created this story, Naive Notes and Nicknames. Naive Notes and Nicknames, a story inspired by true events written by M. Black. The eraser of Alex's pencil was hammering the desk faster and faster with each passing second. 
His nerves were leaking from his body, whether he realized it or not. I didn't realize you were making a change from French horn to drums. Huh? The pencil ceased its incessant attack, as Alex's mind worked to comprehend. He didn't appreciate the way Derek's voice had painted the words French horn in an unflattering color. Nor did he like the way Derek seized any opportunity to take a jab at the fact that he enjoyed being in the school band. I know you think the French horn is lame, but I'm not planning a switch to percussion. Derek folded his arms across his aqua-colored Hollister t-shirt. This covered some of the shabby fabric letters stitched to the front with thick thread. You might be giving my desk the wrong impression then. Do you need a second pencil to round out your drumstick set? Oh. Alex's eyes turned to his lap, where his grip tightened around the pencil. Sorry, I just want to get this right. Grinning, Derek rustled his fingers through Alex's shaggy brunette hair. I got you, bro. Do you? Alex's fingers coaxed his now static full locks back into place. Derek scoffed, throwing his jaw to the ceiling. <laughs> you have nothing to worry about. You've come to the right place. Your big bro has plenty of experience wooing the ladies. Alex thought about the girls he had seen his brother with. Evie didn't seem to fit the bill. It was clear that his type did not align with his brother's. Let me see what you've got so far. Derek made a grabbing motion toward the lined notebook Alex was scrawling in. With some reluctance, Alex forfeited the draft to his brother. Dear Evie, Derek read aloud with exaggerated grandeur. I think you are the coolest girl in our grade. Alex picked at a small hole in the desk with his fingernail. Not bad, not bad, Derek offered. But why stop at grade? Would you say she's the coolest girl in your school? Alex nodded. Better put that drumstick to use then. Across town, Evie was attending a sleepover at Sophie's house. Nickname time! Sophie exclaimed, clapping her hands together in four small, quick strokes. You've all been thinking of yours, right? The girls answered Sophie with happy nods. Oh, good. It'll be so much easier to talk about the boys at school. As long as we keep it between us, nobody should be able to crack the code. Who wants to go first? We do. Jenny wrapped an arm around Alice. Since we like the twins, we thought their nicknames should go together, so we decided to go with ketchup and mustard. Alex giggled, finishing Jenny's sentence. The room of girls erupted in unified laughter. Once it settled, Sophie piped up again. I'll tell you mine now. She paused for dramatic effect. Grass blade. Sophie mimed a rainbow with flexed fingers as she revealed the name. The girls shrieked in amusement. Why grass blade? Evie questioned between giggles. Sophie shrugged. Because he's tall and skinny. All right, my turn. Bianca insisted through the pandemonium. She waited for the collective noise to subside. Okay, well, what is it? Jenny demanded. 
Mountains. Mountains? Sophie pressed. Mountains. Bianca was unwavering. What does that mean? Alice questioned. I thought it would be obvious. Bianca's cool tone silenced the last bit of sound in the room. Things were still for a moment. Well, it isn't, Evie finally admitted. <laughs> Have you ever seen his arms in a cutoff? Evie blushed. No, I don't think I have. Mountains, Bianca whispered. Mountains? They look like mountains. Rippling, muscly mountains. This was too much for the excitable group of girls who descended into absolute chaos of hilarity. The increase in volume caused a visit from Sophie's mother, whose head appeared in the doorway. Girls, I think it's time for Lights Out. Back in Derek's room, Alex was groaning over another one of his brother's suggestions. I'm telling you, girls love a compliment. Obviously you like the way she looks, just pick one thing. Alex scratched along the underside of his jaw in frustration. Do you think she's ugly? No, I don't think she's ugly. Alex scowled at his brother's accusation. Then I don't see why this is that hard. Just pick something. Her eyes. I, I like her eyes. There you go. We can work with that. Your eyes are... Derek made a circular motion with his hand, begging a response from Alex, who shook his head in defeat. Geez, Alex, the color. What color are her eyes? Horrified, Alex realized he wasn't sure what the color of her eyes were. I... I don't know. Oh, come on, man. You're professing your love to her and you don't even know what color her eyes are. I think they're brown, but now I'm second-guessing myself. Go get your yearbook. Alex snapped his fingers. Yes, genius. Derek smiled as his brother disappeared down the hall. Pretty sure he's never called me that before. At Sophie's sleepover, things were winding down into quiet bed making. Evie slipped into her sleeping bag without a sound. Evie, Bianca whispered through the dark. You never got to tell us your nickname. Although nobody could see her, Evie flushed in embarrassment. So, Sophie chimed in when Evie didn't answer. Petrie. Evie's answer was so quiet it was almost undetectable. What? Jenny Whisper yelled from across the room. Evie cleared her throat and answered again, increasing her volume while maintaining a whisper. <clears throat> Petrie! The other girls in the room stifled their laughter with hands clasped over their mouths. Petrie! Evie! Did you see him pee on a tree? No! Evie's voice pierced the hushed room and was met with an abundance of shushing from the other girls. She returned to a softer level. I named him after Petrie, 
from land before time. You know, the little pterodactyl. More covered snickers ensued. Why? Alice questioned. Evie smiled. Because he's cute and nervous most of the time. This yearbook is in black and white. Alex had returned to Derek's room in distress. Well, no big deal. Derek leaned back in a rolling office chair, nearly snapping the back support in half. Forget about the eyes and think of something else. No big deal. It took me all of this time to choose eyes. We'll be here all night if I have to choose something else. In despair, Alex moaned and decided he couldn't be bothered with standing at this moment. He let himself free fall backward, with each arm extended straight out, making a T-shape with his body as it hit the jean quilt covering Derek's bed. The two brothers sat in silence, listening to the slight tick coming from the wall above the desk, where the Cincinnati Bengals clock hung. Derek eventually became bored and moved to the duct tape patched weight bench and started doing chest presses with two large dumbbells. Alex, who hadn't moved from the place he had flopped, exhaled. <sighs> I'm pretty sure they're brown. Let's just go with that. He sat up to see Derek's response. Derek placed the dumbbells on the ground, one on each side of the bench, and rose also. Little bro, if you're wrong, this will absolutely tank any chance you have with her. Alex nodded. We're just going to have to take that risk. The following Monday at school, Evie was surprised to find a folded square of lined notebook paper in the bottom of her locker. Turning it over revealed the address to Evie from your secret admirer. I think someone left me a love letter. Evie's eyes bulged at Sophie. What? Open it immediately! Evie did as instructed, and the two girls huddled inside the metal locker door to shroud the mysterious message. They read silently to themselves, but exchanged scandalized glances and stifled squeaks of amusement. When they finished, Sophie wrapped an arm around Evie. Ah, Eves, your Petrie isn't so nervous after all. The front pocket of Alex's blue jeans buzzed as he walked down the hall. He ducked under a stairwell to check the message without having his phone confiscated. Flipping open the navy blue Motorola razor revealed a text from Derek. Sup, bro? She read it yet? Alex rolled his eyes at his brother's text signature at the bottom of the screen, in which he had unashamedly declared himself, Star Symbol, Debatist, Number 73, Star Symbol. Alex clicked his fingers across the plastic number buttons furiously. He couldn't stall here long or a teacher would find him. Thank goodness for T9. Don't know. Feel like I'm gonna hurl. Send. Alex snapped the phone shut and shoved it in his pocket. I have called you all to this bathroom meeting for a very important reason. 
Sophie smiled as she flexed her leadership abilities. Our very own Evie has been given a love note by none other than her very own Mr. Petrie. The group of girls happily gasped in unison. Well, what are you waiting for? Bianca called. Read it. Evie slowly pulled the note from the back pocket of her American Eagle jeans and unfolded it with even less haste. Come on, Evie, Jenny complained. Evie cleared her throat. <clears throat> Dear Evie, I think you are the coolest girl in our school. This received oohs and ahs from the audience. Evie continued, your eyes are brown and soft like a puppy's fur. I like you a lot. Love, Alex. The girls giggled, clapped, and whistled. Wait, wait, shut up. She didn't even get to the best part yet, Sophie admonished over all the noise. It was quiet again. Evie leaned against a stall and blushed, teetering on the edge of laughter. <laughs> I don't know if I can read the last part, she admitted. Do it, Alice encouraged. Evie bit her lip. P.S. You are hotter than a thousand suns. See you on the bus. The crowd went wild, so wild that the meeting was discovered and cut short by Mrs. Davenport, who shooed them out of the restroom. One jet black Etney shoe scraped frantically against the bottom of a bus seat. The shoe was attached to the neurotic bouncing leg of Alex, who awaited what he hoped wasn't his impending doom. Either Evie would enter the bus and mention the note, or she wouldn't acknowledge him at all. He wasn't sure which was worse, but he was leaning towards cutting his losses and hoping her gaze would never fall upon him again. His eyes were glued to the brown rubber floor beneath him when a tan Ugg boot slid into place next to him, stopping his vibrating foot in its tracks. My eyes are technically hazel, by the way. Horrified, Alex looked at Evie, who had just taken up the empty space next to him on the seat. He held his gaze only for a split second before burying his face in his hands. I'm an idiot. I'm sure there's a hazel-colored puppy out there somewhere, like a hazel lab or something. Why are you being so nice to me? Alex's distressed voice was muffled underneath his hands. Here, listen to this. Alex emerged to find Evie holding out one side of a set of earbuds, which were connected to a hot pink iPod. The other bud was resting in her ear. He took the earbud timidly, forced to lean closer to her in order to fit it into his ear. Be careful, she warned. Oh, sorry, what? It's just, you shouldn't get too close to me. You might get burned. Alex grimaced. He could clearly see the punchline of this joke. You know, because I'm hotter than a thousand suns. Evie finished with a grin. Please stop he pleaded with her. Evie laughed. <laughs> okay, but really, listen. She pressed on the bottom of the large white circular button on the iPod's face. 
Alex's left ear was flooded with a familiar metallic yet velvety sound. Every feature of his face lifted from anguish to elation. Is this French horn? The corners of Evie's mouth lifted slightly. Yeah, it's the Beach Boys. I listen to them with my grandma. This song reminds me of you. I really wish I could have used the actual Beach Boys song that I was thinking of as I was writing the ending of that story. But if you want to, you can go look it up. It is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. It was released in 1966. And just do a quick Google search, listen to it, and just imagine Alex and Evie driving off into the sunset on the bus while you listen to it. And that's how I envisioned the ending of Naive Notes and Nicknames. I've always had this wish in my head that I could be fancy and sophisticated, but although I do have an affinity for all things literary and dealing with the arts, I am who I am and I am just full of crass and sass. <laughs> but this next story though, was submitted by someone who I feel is kind of living that fancy, smart life that I sometimes imagine for myself. This story involves the opera Carmen, which I had never seen. So in order to do my full research duty, I hit up YouTube and I quickly realized that I recognize most of the songs, as I'm sure you all would too. So a good idea right now, if you're unfamiliar with Carmen, would be to pause and do a quick bit of YouTubing. This story is such a great meat cute. I've written a meat cute before, if you remember, got him with my calves from season one. This story reminds me of that one in the sense that it involves two college-aged people meeting the love of their life in an awkward way. Vomit of the Opera, a story inspired by true events, written by M. Black. A sense of awkwardness hung in the air. One of the sizable marquee light bulbs overhead was on the fritz. Every few seconds it dimmed, paired with an electrical buzzing. Sarah's shoes clicked on the dirty sidewalk as she rocked from heel to toe. Throngs of couples, thirty or more years their senior, had been shuffling into the theater. If they did decide to go in, they would be the only patrons under fifty. She realized not many 21-year-olds would be interested in this, which is why they were probably being stood up by their friends. She watched Mason check his watch for the umpteenth time, and smirked as he did so. Look, there must have been some miscommunication. I don't think they're coming. Mason nodded in agreement and scratched the back of his neck. But I'd still really like to see this if you're up for it, Sarah offered. Uh, Mason stammered, but smiled. Y yeah that sounds good to me. We better get in there and get our seats. The show's about to start. This was supposed to be a group get-together. 
They had seen an advertisement for it the last time they had been at this very theater with friends. They were supposed to meet here for the 8 o'clock showing of a recorded version of Carmen. Apparently, only Mason and herself were opera aficionados. Mason was a friend of a friend. Sarah hardly knew him. She had a sneaking suspicion that this might be a setup. She shrugged it off. He was cute and he liked the opera. This was exactly the type of date she would want to go on anyhow. Do you want to get popcorn or anything? Sarah asked as they walked by the concessions. No, Mason answered briskly. Sarah assumed he was eager to sit down. She could already hear classical music floating through the curtains that covered the door leading into the dark theater. When they entered, the screen was filled with soldiers in a square beginning to sing. Mason led the way to two seats near the middle. The pair became enraptured by the scintillating tale unfolding on screen. They whispered clever comments and jokes to one another throughout. Sarah felt maybe something could bloom between the two of them. She'd have to thank the no-shows she called friends later. They walked close as they left the theater. Not touching, but close. So how do you feel about Carmen as a person? Good or bad? Sarah pondered this. I don't know. I'm kind of partial to strong female characters from the 19th century. So, good, I guess. Mason raised his eyebrows. Okay, I'll bite. What other 19th century female leads are you into? Sarah smiled. <laughs> Pretty much anything written by Jane Austen. Mason scoffed in a dramatic, joking manner. <sighs> I think Jane would be appalled by the wild gypsy seductress that is Carmen. Probably, Sarah laughed and Mason joined. When their tittering subsided, Sarah stared at the cement for a moment. Hey, do you want to go get some ice cream? There's this place just right around the corner. Uh... Mason put his hands in his pockets. It's just, I've had a really great time, even though we kind of got thrown into this. I don't really want this... She hesitated. Date to end, yet. Mason grinned up at the old marquee sign. Yes, I would love to get ice cream with you, Sarah. The two chatted about Jane Austen novels on the walk and as they ordered. But by the time they made it to their table, Sarah noticed that Mason was drawing in long breaths and he seemed flushed. He set his ice cream down roughly on the table. I have a confession to make. What is it? I don't usually eat on dates. I get so nervous that I puke. My stomach's been churning for hours. Oh, Sarah was shocked, but also amused. She stifled a giggle. I'm glad to see this is so entertaining to you. <laughs> Come on, let's take our ice cream to go. The couple took a walk to keep Mason's nausea monster at bay. I think it's working, Mason said optimistically. You sure? You're looking a little green. No, really. This is the first date I've been on that I haven't actually vomited. <laughs> You're really weird, aren't you? Mason laughed. <laughs> An understatement. Sarah liked weird. She liked weird so much, she eventually went on to marry Mason.
Over the years, and with all the writing that I've done, especially since starting this podcast, I've realized that music is such a big part of my writing process. You'll notice music integrated into all of my stories on this podcast, and when I design logos for each of the stories and post them on Instagram, music is always a huge part of that too. I'm very meticulous when choosing the right songs to pair with how my stories are presented. When I write, I imagine my words as scenes in a movie. That's how I visualize it. Any great movie needs an even greater soundtrack. For everything I write, I pull the vibe, for lack of a better word, from music. I think of a genre or sometimes even specific songs that I think would be playing in the background of each particular story. I listen to these songs while I write and they help to shape the story. I had a song chosen for this story before I started to write, and then I sat down and I played it and I just thought, this isn't it. What I wanted was something that encapsulated my own middle school experience. I wanted a song that sounded like your average 2000s punk rock anthem, and I think I found the right one. Kerfuffle in the Kissing Corner A story inspired by true events, written by M. Black. Trixie picked the last little bit of baby pink nail polish from her thumb. All her nails were clear now. The floor beneath her looked like a spill in the sprinkle aisle of a grocery store. What was she going to do to pass the time now? This is so lame. Matt groaned. He was sitting on the tiled floor with his head rested against the brick wall behind him. His tongue was running across his top teeth, hopelessly trying to remove a chunk of lunch from his braces. Yeah, it totally is, Trixie agreed. Matt stood and tugged at the bottoms of his relaxed fit wranglers. How'd you get suckered into being lookout? Trixie rolled her eyes. Well, I'm the only one without a boyfriend, so... Yeah, same. Trixie snickered at his comment. No, I don't mean I... I would be the boyfriend. See, I need a girlfriend. This only made Trixie laugh harder. Matt joined in. (laughs) You know what I mean. Yeah, life kind of sucks when you aren't a part of the kissing club. Trixie mimed quotation marks around the words with her fingers. So stupid how everything starts with the letter K. The kissing club meets in the kissing corner. Even the dumb warning word they gave us starts with a K. Kerfuffle. I'm gonna feel like a moron shouting that out. Wendy came up with it all. She said she used all Ks because it's alliteration. She's like a freak about language arts. Well, I'm a decent speller and that is not how you spell club or corner. This made Trixie giggle. Matt beamed at her bashfully. I like your shirt, by the way. Trixie smirked as she pulled one arm across her stomach and gripped the other, covering her happy bunny t-shirt. Thanks. So, are you then? Am I what? Happy bunny, your shirt. It says, cute but psycho. And I have eyes, so I already know you're cute. I'm just wondering if you're psycho. Trixie's eyebrows raised and she folded her arms. You think I'm cute? A shade of red washed over Matt's expression. Well, I mean, yeah. 
Everybody does. You're Trixie. Trixie's face matched Matt's in color as she bit her bottom lip. Matt cleared his throat. <clears throat> what do you think those idiots are doing back there anyway? Well, it's called the kissing corner, so... Right. Matt stared at his feet. Maybe we should... You mean... Matt looked up and down the hallway. The ultimate K-word? Trixie snorted. <laughs> yes, don't be weird about it. Are you serious, though? Don't mess around with me. Just do it before I change my mind or someone walks down the hall. But I've never... Shh. Me either. Trixie leaned in and placed her lips on his. Hey, you kids, you can't do that at school. Matt broke away, eyes wild. Kerfuffle! Kerfuffle! He grabbed Trixie's hand and pulled her down the hallway. The unlikely couple sprinted hand in hand through the double doors of the library and into a back aisle. Look at where we are, Trixie whispered. Matt looked up to find a sign demonstrating a large letter K. They were surrounded by books authored by people with last names like King, Kelly, and Kennedy. I'm starting to get on board with this whole K thing. He pulled Trixie in for another ultimate K. I usually save the stories that are based off of my own personal memories for the end of the episode. They seem to be your favorite, so I use them like a finale. You guys really just eat up my shame and embarrassment like candy. But I get it. I get the allure. With all of the other stories, I keep it anonymous and it probably makes it seem less real. With these ones, you know exactly who it is and I've got all the details just flowing out of my brain. I feel like the longer I do this, the more comfortable I'm getting with what memories I'm willing to leak out there to the public. I do want to give a bit of a disclaimer about this story. It takes place while I'm attending Snow College at the age of 1819. I only stayed there for one year, but oh boy, what a year it was. I really had to narrow down what I was going to include for this story because I think I could write an entire expose on that year. I got to the end of it and I think I was just kind of like, I think I'm done with this place. <laughs> and I moved on to other places to finish my degree. When I moved away to college, I was going there from a very sheltered, religious, small town. I was incredibly naive. So many of the things that happened once I got there were so shocking to me. The reason I want to give a bit of a disclaimer is because this story does involve a little bit of hinting towards adult things without going into detail. And there are a few swears and... It references a few things about church, and I want to say something about that. Number one, although I was shocked by some of the things that people in this story chose to do, as some of you might also be, I did not write anything that didn't actually happen. Things happen, and all I'm doing here is simply writing down my memories. Number two, people are people, especially young people. And they're going to act like people and make their own decisions whether they go to church or hold a position at church or not. 
Number three, if you are one of my listeners not from Utah, some of the vocabulary regarding church things probably isn't going to make any sense to you, but I'm just going to let you Google it if you want to. This is the first story that I've ever written for the podcast that includes my current husband, Hayden, because at the time that this was going on, I was in a long-distance relationship with him. I feel like I've kind of steered clear of writing about him so far just because I am married to him and I live with him and it just feels like, I don't know, maybe a little bit of an invasion into our life, even though I write all sorts of crap and put it out there. This is the first time you get to hear about him and he's only kind of like sprinkled in here a little bit, but it is kind of fun that I got to include him. While I was writing this story, I realized how much of the uptight side of my personality went into this. I am much more laid back than I was at the time that this story happened. This was 10 years ago and life has seasoned me since then and I'm much more chill, but not completely. I've recently been watching Seinfeld. I grew up watching it with my parents and it's on Netflix, so I've been re-watching it. And I've kind of been bummed out to realize that the character I see most in myself is George Costanza. (laughs) And you will get to see that in this story. I am a wet blanket the entire time, but I do not regret any of the choices made in this story, except for the fact that I should have spoken up and been much more assertive. As girls, we are trained to be nice, right? But I feel like we get a warped sense of what nice means. This is why when I was 18 years old, working at a drive-thru and a man older than my father with gray hair and a gray beard, after asking me how old I was, which should have been red flag number one, told me that he would like to take me out sometime, and I giggled and said, okay, have a nice night. (laughs) Girls, please listen to me. Being nice does not include getting taken advantage of by creepy boys and men. College Cringe an autobiographical story inspired by true events written by M. Black. I pulled the fuzzy belt of my robe into a knot, slipped my toes into some worn out Hawaiian print flip-flops and knelt down to pick up my hot pink shower caddy. When I closed the slender closet door, my reflection appeared in the full-length mirror. I cursed my mom for giving me a robe covered in lime-green frogs. The whole look was very juvenile. My private room was the first at the top of the stairs on the second floor of the girls' wing. Anderson Hall was a co-ed dorm. Girls on the east, boys on the west. Common area, laundry, shared kitchen, and an RA's apartment in the middle. The building was old, with rough, elementary school-style carpet throughout, and white painted cinder block rooms. The bathroom was down the hall. It was my one saving grace in this dreary building. Newly renovated, it was tiled in warm, taupey colors. There was a large vanity mirror as soon as you stepped in. Three shower stalls were located in the back. 
Stalls felt like the wrong word to call them. These weren't like some germ-infested gas station bathroom or hair-filled rec center stalls. There was no swinging door with a broken latch, gaps for people to peek through, or large underdoor openings to let a draft in. Each shower was surrounded by three thick walls and one crisp white curtain. They were covered in the same comfy stone-like tiles as the floor. The shower head provided a wide, soft rainfall effect. I sang praises of gratitude to the old building's water heater, who had never let me down. The bathroom was well-maintained. I'd never seen it dirty. Although it was a shared space, it was rare to find the room occupied. Most of the time, it felt like having a large, luxurious bathroom to yourself. My only grievance was the lack of a bathtub, but I knew that would be asking too much of a dormitory at a budget two-year college. After I showered and dressed, I rapped lightly on the door across the hall and to the left of mine. This was home to my self-appointed roommates. Although I had vehemently opted for a private room, and the dorm resembled nothing of an apartment, the girls in the shared room across the hall had taken me in as one of their own. Roomie was a term we all used loosely. A girl with straight-across bangs on her shaggy, medium-length brunette hair answered. Her striking green eyes looked tired under the shade of long, dark lashes. Her pouty lips showed traces of the berry-colored lipstick she had been wearing the day before. I wondered what she had been up to last night. "'Good morning,' Macy said in a groggy yet cheerful voice. I smiled in amusement at the greeting. It was nearing eleven o'clock. "'Morning. I'm heading to Walmart later. Do you need to go?' As the only of the three of us who had a car, I was an asset to the trio. Sometimes my anxiety wondered if it was the only reason they had adopted me. Yeah, I do, but Gabe's coming over at four. Will we be back before then? Sure, I've got nothing else going on today, so we can go whenever. What about Lacey? Where's she at? Macy and Lacey, the real roommates with similar interests, social stamina, and rhyming names. I was the outlier, but I was an outlier with a car. Macy smirked. She held the door with her hand above her head and averted her gaze to her sock-covered toes. She's not back from Wilson's apartment yet. My jaw dropped. Wilson? Yeah. Macy giggled, meeting my eyes once more. I exhaled with my mouth wide open. (laughs) Wilson? Our home teacher, Wilson, who we just met yesterday, the guy with the pet hedgehog? Macy pressed her top teeth onto her puffy bottom lip, still smiling. "Uh Uh-huh, she spent the night. I tried to minimize how scandalized I was. Macy and Lacey had come to Snow College with a completely different set of experiences and opinions than I had, a fact they teased me about often. I had formulated a pretty clear picture in my head of how they viewed me. I was the sad sap across the hall clinging to my high school boyfriend through a long-distance relationship, holding myself up in my private room most nights. I knew nothing of the real world. Maybe they were right, but 
I was content. From what I had seen of the real world so far, it seemed pretty shitty. Besides, I had a bowl of ice cream, Netflix, and text with Hayden to attend to. So, what are we supposed to do now? I questioned. Have Wilson come over to share a message with us and act like there isn't a giant elephant in the room? Giant hedgehog in the room. Damn thing kept me up all night running on its wheel. I turned to find Lacey laughing behind me, wearing a smile, skinny blue jeans, and a pixie cut. She had returned from her walk of shame across campus, which I was sure she did with a skip in her step and a tune humming from her mouth. Sometimes I was in awe of her carefree spirit. Don't worry, McKenna. Wilson's cool. I don't think it will be awkward. With that, she sashayed past me and into her room. I had never been a part of a singles ward before, but my experiences thus far had absolutely shocked me. Church had proved to be a completely different animal here. I had been naive to what a ward full of hormone-raged college students living without mom and dad for the first time would be like. Many weekends came and went after the hedgehog man, and I was scandalized once more. Only this time, I was stuck right in the middle of it. Literally. Macy and Lacey were both onto new love interests by this time. I was still unflinchingly against dating anyone else. That hadn't been the plan, though. Our senior year of high school, Hayden and I were very clear about the fact that once the summer ended, we would go our separate ways. I was supposed to be taking a page out of the roomie's book, burning through guys like tissue paper under a lighter. But it's easier to say you're going to end something with months ahead of you than it is on your parents' porch the night before you move 300 miles away. Let's just not and see what happens, I had suggested shakily. Yeah, Hayden nodded, looking relieved. Okay. My clunky phone vibrated on the desk in the corner of my room, snapping me back to reality. We're watching the movie at 8. Come! Although being fifth wheel was about the last role that I wanted to assume, today had been dreadfully boring and I needed an outing, even if that outing was just down the hall. Lacey had decided she needed more space and moved to a room four doors down from her original, where Macy still resided. Lacey's new digs were the location of the movie party. I slid open the QWERTY keyboard and typed back, Okay, I'll be there. TTYL. The movie was 127 hours. Much like the main character played by James Franco, I was trapped in an excruciating situation. The rooms in Anderson Hall were equipped with double of everything, one side asymmetrical with the other. There were two twin beds, which folded into the form of a couch, two desks, two lamps, and two closets. Opting for a private room didn't free you from this. Imagine the length of a twin-sized mattress. Now, imagine five 18 to 20-year-olds sitting on the edge of it. Imagine me, not on the end where I should have been placed, but smack dab in the middle. Lacey, on one side of me, clinging to her long, curly-haired date, who looked like he could be a cast member on Workaholics. 
the warm body of Macy's date uncomfortably pressed into me on the other. I was in hell. However, I could have managed. I could have endured. I mean, I was watching a man cut his own arm off on screen. People had it worse. Yes, I could have been fine. If it wasn't for the wandering hand of Macy's date deceptively caressing my leg while simultaneously wrapping the other arm around her. When I had dressed for the evening, I was thinking pure comfort. I was the fifth person on a double date. I had absolutely nobody to impress. So I had opted for a snow college t-shirt and a pair of cotton shorts. Little did I know how vulnerable I would be leaving my legs. I was scooting, I was pushing, I was giving silent dagger eyes, I was internally screaming, hell, I was swatting. Not once did he move his big brown eyes from the screen and turn them to me. It was absurd. Up until this point, I had liked this boy in the few brief moments I had spent with him. Ray was his name. He was funny and charming, tall, but not skinny tall. He had a medium brawniness about him. His skin was a soft color, like chocolate milk, and his hair was clean cut. I couldn't deny I found Ray attractive. I'd admitted this to Macy more than once. I wondered if she told him, and this is what had made him think he had the go-ahead to nonchalantly trace circles on my mid-thigh. Any attraction I had felt for him was long gone. Suddenly, the movie was paused and the lights were flipped on. I need a pee, Macy admitted. I heaved a sigh of relief. This was my out. Macy ducked out of the door and Lacey leaned further into Curly Q. I stood up. Wait, Ray pleaded with a devilish smile. What? My irritation was unmasked. You have the softest legs I've ever touched. I grimaced. Thank you. I bolted for the door. Lacey, I'm going to bed. Good night. I dashed down the hall and into the safety of my own room. I felt it was my duty to let Macy know about Ray's true colors before their evening went any further. After four texts and an hour had passed without a response, I drifted off to sleep worrying about my friend. The next morning, I promptly knocked on Macy's door. Hey, what's up? What's up? Did you not get my text last night? Macy looked over her shoulder, then back to me. Oh, no, my phone was dead and I haven't looked at it yet this morning. Okay. I let myself into the room and sat on the bed that was folded out. Well, did you and Ray... Macy snorted. <laughs> well, yeah. I blew a raspberry. I need to tell you something about him, about last night. I tried to tell you before. Well, what is it? Last night, the reason I left the movie early is because Ray had one arm around you and the other, what? Rubbing up on my leg. And then as soon as you went to the bathroom, he told me, you have the softest legs I've ever touched. Macy burst into laughter. What? I'm telling the truth. I know you are, because he used that same exact line on me last night while we were... Ew, Macy! 
I didn't find it as amusing as she did, but I laughed along with her to ease the awkwardness I felt. You're going to see him again, aren't you? Macy shrugged. Probably. Months later, when the memories of the unwanted leg touching had almost faded, the roomies and I had made a new friend. His name was Sam, but he often referred to himself as the Canadian. Because I'm from Canada, but I'm Asian, he explained. Sam was fun to be around. He introduced us to new people and new things. I had spoken extensively to him about the fact that I did have a boyfriend and was not interested in dating anyone. It didn't seem to bother him. In fact, he didn't seem to be interested in any of us. Hanging out with Sam felt safe. Or so I thought. Sam lived in another door building across campus. While Anderson Hall was a sleep study building, Castilea Hall was made up of full apartments with their own kitchens and bathrooms. This is where Sam lived. I really want to go, Lacey pleaded. Me too, Macy agreed. It's almost curfew, I complained. I don't want to get stuck there. Please, it'll be fun. I doubted that, but I was intrigued to see what the apartment-style dorms looked like. So walk if you want to go so bad. But it's clear across campus, and it's dark and cold. The burden of being the only one with a vehicle meant often being guilted into doing things you didn't want to do. Fine. We rolled into the parking lot of Casalea Hall with 20 minutes to spare before curfew. Just enough time for a quick tour. Get in and get out before the cameras caught us in the hall of a boy's dorm after hours. Or worse, if an RA did, it could mean losing housing. Had I broken this rule before? Yes, to sneak my own boyfriend into my room when he came to visit for the weekend. That was worth it to me. Sam and his roommates were not. Welcome, welcome, homies! Sam held his arms out wide, displaying his large, spacious apartment with a wide-toothed grin. He had a stocky build, and his movements seemed somewhat pretend, like he was playing the role of someone cocky, confident, and cool. He always smelled good, styled his hair, and wore expensive-looking athletic shoes and brightly colored jackets. His style said, extra in a hip-hop dance movie, to me. He introduced us to his roommates one by one and showed us all the amenities that an apartment in Castilea Hall had to offer. I checked the time nervously. We were inching closer and closer to curfew. My pleas of, we should probably get going, were falling on deaf ears. My instincts were telling me to bolt out of there and leave Macy and Lacey to their own devices. My conscience, on the other hand, wouldn't allow it. That's how I ended up in my own personal nightmare scenario. Even worse than Ray the Leg Toucher. Curfew had come and gone. We were now trapped. Not only were we stuck in this apartment, we were confined to the shoebox that was Sam's room. Apparently some of the other apartment dwellers wouldn't take too kindly to allowing girls to stay the night. I shuddered. Stay the night. That's what we were doing now. Staying the night. Sam's room was the same size and equipped with the same furniture as the rooms in Anderson Hall. Two twin pull-out beds had been smashed together to form a makeshift king-size bed. This had been done upon my request. 
I had discovered that the bed frames were not bolted to the wall pretty early on after I had moved into the dorm. I had been enjoying my own spacious bed every night for months. How I longed to be there now. Sam didn't know the pleasure of having a room to himself. He shared it with a roommate. This meant I was yet again involved in a situation where there were five hot bodies smashed into one bed. Only this time was far worse because we were in vertical positions. I felt like a sardine in a can and we weren't even one hour into this miserable night. As I lay there, I silently cursed Macy and Lacey, regretting not abandoning them. What was I going to tell Hayden? Oh, yeah, I spent the night in some dude's bed, but it really wasn't a big deal. I readjusted my cramped position in between all the squirming people whispering in the dark. Once again, I hadn't secured an outside edge placement. I hate everyone in this room right now. Eventually, the talking stopped and people started to nod off. It was unfathomable to me how anybody could actually sleep in this thrown-together bed full of unfamiliar people. I was positioned between Sam on my right and Macy on my left, who had taken the coveted end place. Lacey was cozying up to Sam's roommate on the other side of the bed. I rolled my eyes at the sound of Macy snoring next to me. Not a word had escaped my lips in hours, but I was the furthest thing from asleep a person could be. Call me uptight, but falling asleep in some random apartment in a bed with two guys I barely knew sounded like the beginning of a grisly episode of 60 Minutes. I intended to keep my wits sharp throughout the night. Unfortunately, I discovered this to be a worthwhile endeavor when Sam's arm slid across my abdomen and around my waist. No, I whispered instantly, brushing him away. Don't be like that, he cooed while returning his arm. I don't want you to touch me, I shot back, sitting up abruptly. Desperately, he pulled at the sides of my waist, trying to bring me back down. Relax, just cuddle with me. Sam, knock it off. You know I have a boyfriend. I strained against his grabbing, and he relented. So, he's not here. He settled for stroking my back in waves. I didn't answer. I wanted to molt out of my skin like a snake and poison every single person in this room with venom. Sam gave up. I sat rigid in the same position for the remainder of the night. My anger had sculpted my body into stone. The only part of me that moved was my wrist, checking the time on my phone incessantly for hours. Curfew ended at 7 o'clock. By 6.59, my battery was almost dead and so was my will to live. Nobody in the room had even hinted towards waking. As soon as the minute turned, my hands were on Macy's leg, shaking her to consciousness. Get up. We're leaving. I shimmied out of the bed. Lacey, wake up. Time to go. Everyone in the room stared at me, bewildered and puffy-eyed. It's so early, Lacey protested. Well, I'm leaving if you want a ride. I turned and strode out of the room, apartment, and building without looking back. Macy was right on my tails, walking across the grass as I unlocked the car. Where's Lacey? She's coming. Just give her a minute. We gave her ten, sitting in uncomfortable silence. She finally emerged, ambling out of the old brick building. When the left rear passenger door opened and she dropped into the seat, 
I didn't waste any time delivering my exasperated, definitive decree. Never again. I spoke earlier in the episode about how music has such a huge impact on my writing. That's why the next episode is going to be titled, The Songs That Made Us. I'm going to be using songs as inspiration for stories. I'll listen to the song, really dissect the lyrics, and write a story from what I hear. If you've got a favorite song or a song that you think would make a great story, send me a message on Instagram. I'm opening up submissions as of right now. But later on, I will put a question box or something up that you can answer through too. Thank you so much for being here for the first episode of season two. I'm wishing you all the best of luck in your romantic endeavors, whether you're married or dating or whatever lane you're in. Let's just try to keep the bloopers to a minimum or not because they make great content. (laughs) See you next time. I love you all. Bye.